Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace be to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our, Je- the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. <clears throat> in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the world, whole world just as, it, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has told us of your loving in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good works, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, Sue and I have had actually a big week of celebrations. Uh, So this week we celebrated our 43rd wedding anniversary. Okay, and uh, that's right. Yeah, it's a... Not, not one of those milestone ones, but every year is a good one. And uh, so we've been uh, celebrating that. We went out for a meal together. Uh, we went out to a musical. Sue loves going to musicals. I don't mind them, you know, but we went out to a, a musical. And we had, well, I guess it was a week where we were thinking about how much we had to celebrate. And let me say me more than Sue, uh, but the sense of giving us those 43 years and I've been reflecting on how kind and uh, gracious and fun and generous, what an encourager who is, how godly she is, you know, and those sort of things have really uh, encouraged and uh, given us, yeah, just that, that note of thankfulness over this, this last week or 10 days. When we turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, it is a letter, but particularly this opening to the letter is marked by extraordinary thankfulness and celebration. And yet, when you know the background to this, you think, why is he so thankful? So, for example, when Paul writes, uh, he is in prison in Rome when he writes to this church. Right? It's, it's a tough situation that he's writing from. Paul had never been to this church in Colossae. So Epaphras, he speaks of him in this first chapter. He's the one who founded the church. And Paul is writing to people he's never never face to face. So he's got information that's coming back. Yet he's very, he seems very positive about them. 
Epaphras established the church probably late 50s AD and Paul writes this letter around 62 AD. So it's a young church uh, just getting going. So I guess the question I want to ask is, given what, even what I've just said, why is he so thankful? And how does it shape his praying as he looks to the future? Well, let's get into it. Why is he so thankful? I think one of the reasons is because he has a, a sharp and clear sense of identity and purpose. Sometimes in these, these letters in the New Testament, we jump over the opening verses. It's a bit like the, uh, the dear Sue part of the letter. You know, you sort of get past that, get to the content. And yet these opening words actually set up his framework of thinking. Let me just read them again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people, literally saints in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Uh, Remember, Paul is stuck in a stinking prison in Rome. He's writing to absolute strangers in Colossae, Colossae is a boondocks sort of town. You know, it's sort of like that, that little township just outside of Kubapiti. You know, like it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, not exactly at the crossroads. It, it, it was once an important city, but at this point, it really is a bit of a, a byway uh, rather than a, a, a major area. And uh, he's aware of that as he writes. And yet, in these opening verses, you see the things that anchor his life and the things that are meant to anchor the lives of the people he's writing to. Just look at it with me. He starts off verse 1 and says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, this is not just sort of Jesus' surname. This is a statement about the one he serves. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. He is the king of the universe. He has total authority, absolute, absolute control over everything he's created, And that absolutely settles Paul in terms of his situation in the world. Nothing accidental ever happens to Paul. He knows he serves the king who rules over all things, you see. Very, very helpful. Notice in verse 2, though, he refers to God, our Father. Uh, He's not talking about some remote deity who sits far away and pulls puppet strings. Uh, We are talking about a God whose father love has been poured out and this establishes the relationship not only for Paul but uh, for these Colossians. I mentioned verse 1, he refers to himself as an apostle of Christ. Uh, He knows what his purpose in life is. He is being commissioned by Jesus in terms of what he is to do in promoting the good news or the gospel about Jesus. He talks about Timothy, right? Our brother. Uh, See, when you become a believer, you enter into a family set of relationships. And this this identity, it's not a a blood identity. It's an identity of relationships that God establishes and throws you together by his grace and mercy. And then verse 2, Paul talks to God's holy people in Colossae. Saints is literally what he's talking about. Uh, It just means to be set apart from God. We're not talking about any sort of formal church canonisation or anything like that. 
It's a description for any Christian person. Anyone who's put their trust in Jesus is a saint. See? So we're talking about, you know, St. Richard and St. Clair. And, uh, and people, you sort of shy away from that, St. Colin, you know, or you might think, he's, of course, he's a pastor. St. Ben, you know, St. Hilton, St. You know, like, the reality is, if you've put your trust in Jesus, this is who you are. You are a saint, set apart by God for his purpose. Now, that is, those couple of just introductory words are striking in terms of the way it establishes our sense of who we are in this world. You see, without Christ and without the gospel, where do you search for meaning? Are you searching career? Or you might derive your sense of identity from how you look or the status you have in life or through your, you know, I have one wife, three kids and eight grandchildren. You know, you could look to family to provide you a sense of identity and purpose and reason. Friends, if you've put your trust in Jesus, this is who you are. You are a saint. You are someone set apart from God and he drives your sense of purpose and identity and future. That's who you are. Pauling goes on. So I think he's, he's just very thankful. You know, when you become a follower of Jesus, this is my experience when I was 20, I was so thankful that life suddenly made sense and it was complete. You know, like I actually understood where I sat in the world, in my relationships and what life was about. It's an enormous relief rather than struggling around for a sense of who I was and where I had to go. So he starts off on that note. But then he moves on in verses 3 to 5 and talks about how thankful he is because of what God has done in them. Let me just read verses 3 to 5 and make a few comments. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. Right, they'd heard about this message through Epaphroditus. Um, uh, sorry, Epaphras. Uh, they'd heard about it. Paul knew about the Colossians' faith in Christ and their love for all God's people, right? He'd heard about their faith in God and love for God's people. So at this point, why doesn't he say, I'm really thankful to you that you have put your faith in Christ, and that you love other people. See? See, what? why doesn't he actually thank them? Because actually what he does is he thanks God. Verse 3, he always thanks God the Father because of what's, what's happened. Um, later on, he talks about his thankfulness to the Father. Verse 12. Um, is he just sort of being a bit sort of religious, you know? <laughs> and then... Let me say, there's nothing wrong with thanking brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the core of things, he knows God is the one who's done a work in their life. You pick it up in verse 6. He talks about the day you heard of it, that is the gospel, and truly understood God's grace. Or, thank you, mate. You're very kind. Am I about to knock that over, am I? <laughs> um, the day you heard 
uh, about it, the gospel. Or in verse 14, the redemption and the forgiveness of sins, or verse 13, uh, being rescued. Uh, those are the things that God does. Um, I wonder if you've heard of, just tell me if you know the names when I say them, Craig uh, Gallon and Richard Harris. Anyone know, know these guys? Craig, I'm not leaving, it's okay. I'm just coming over to get a book. So Craig Challen, Richard Harris. Ring any bells? Yeah, well done, Carl. They're not names that I think immediately come to people's minds. In 2018, you may recall the incident occurred. For 17 days, there were 12 boys from a soccer club, the Wild Boars uh, soccer team, and their coach, who were trapped in a cave system in Thailand. They'd gone caving, uh, the floods came in and filled up these caves, and this, this team, these 12 people, were just trapped with no way of being able uh, to get out. And for 17 days, the whole world just watched on, wondering how they were going to be rescued. They tried boring down into the caves, but it was like a needle in a haystack sort of exercise. They just couldn't work it out. Craig Challen and Richard Harris, uh, this book, Against All Odds, these were the guys, Australians, who came up with the plan to rescue these boys and then executed the plan. So these two guys were doctors and they were... uh, cavers as well so they had the expertise to bring to bear and they devised the plan and as a result all 12 were rescued safely through a really uh, complex uh, plan that they they executed now you when i mentioned them most of us didn't remember the names right just just names you probably remember the event but i tell you i reckon those boys and their soccer coach and their families, they will never forget their names. Right? That is the reality. When you've been so profoundly impacted by people who've acted in that way, it's not something you ever recover from. Friends, it's exactly the same, I think. When you're brought into a relationship with God, you know it's only through his grace and mercy, and you never lose sight of that. You always celebrate that. And it means, verse 5, we have a faith stored up for us in heaven. When he talks about heaven, he's not some vague, mystical, sort of spiritual idea at this point. Heaven is really the throne room of God where he exercises all authority over everything. And the picture is that if you're in a relationship with God, He has secured you for all eternity by his kindness. And it happens when you believe in Jesus. And then you have a future that's secure. It gives you confidence for life now. And that is just so different from the world around us. Uh, If you don't have salvation, if you don't have that sense of future, uh, then all you are is matter, chemicals, atoms, uh, floating on sort of a a meaningless evolutionary slipstream. You know, that's that's just who you are. You start with nothing, you end with nothing, 
But if you understand the gospel and if you've taken it to heart, then you're full of meaning and purpose and identity. You hear it, you trust it, and it transforms your life. So I guess I want to start by asking whether this is the gospel that's transformed your life. Is this reality for you? Uh, Do you know that grace of God towards you? And are you thankful to God for what he's done for you? Because can I say, if you don't know that, that's the most important thing in life. It's the most important thing for you to be working out and coming to terms with. And uh, we're a church that wants to help people do that. So if that's your situation, do um, do chase us up. Paul's also thankful uh, for what God's doing in the whole world. You pick it up in um, verses 6 and 7. Um, the gospel is not just about Paul or Epaphras or the believers in Colossae or the believers in Woodcross Church. You know, it's, that's not the focus. The gospel, Paul says, verse 6, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. I sometimes talk to um, uh, Christians in churches around Adelaide and they can be a bit despondent, especially the older Christians. They can think about uh, 30, 40 years ago and reflect on the way in which there were more people in church you know, there were more families with kids in church. There were more youth than young adults. And they feel a bit despondent about that sort of decline. Well, they feel uh, concerned about the sort of direction of our culture and the rejection of Christian values and the way in which that'll have impact on our society. But here's the thing. If you think about what God is doing throughout the world, the gospel is speeding ahead like wildfire. It is extraordinary. So I looked up some stats this week. In China, in 1997, it was estimated that there were 10 million believers in China. Right? 2022, here are the best estimates about the number of believers in China. 80 million believers. Right? 1997, 10 million. 2022, 80. Isn't it extraordinary work that God is doing? Now, Sue and I were invited across to Singapore to work in a church uh, over the Christmas period, Christmas New Year period, and we joined a church. There were, uh, back in 2010, there were 16 people who met in the lounge room to start this church. Uh, when we were there, there were 1,200 people across five gatherings in an auditorium over that sort of 12-year period, and a lot of that has been evangelistic growth. It was really exciting to hear the work of God that is going on. Friends, we are thankful to God for his work in the life of believers in our church, but also throughout the world. But notice the the note of thanks that's here. Um, Can I just interrogate what you pray about just for a moment? Uh, Do you regularly give thanks uh, that you're part of this family of believers here at Woodcroft? Is that something that you celebrate? So I, I don't know all of you. I know some of you well. Um, I get to uh, work with you know, Ben Chapman on a regular basis. I'm incredibly thankful to God for the work he's done in Ben and Sarah's life and their kids. Uh, with Colin and Sharon. I know them well and I know the way in which God has transformed their lives and is using them. And I do constantly give thanks for the work that God has done in their lives. I've known Richard and Claire, you know, for decades. I've seen them in 
a church in the city, a church plant in a kernel-like gardens, a church plant in here at Woodcroft, all sort of essentially in more of their, don't mind me saying, their twilight years rather than, uh, you know, like I constantly give thanks to God for them. And you might think, oh, so I've got to look out for people who are doing good things so I can give thanks to God for them. But remember, Paul actually doesn't know these Colossians, not face to face. He's heard reports back about them. He is thankful essentially for the work God has done in bringing that group of believers into his kingdom and together, even though he doesn't have the specifics. Can I say that's the right thing for a church to be doing and the people in a church to be doing? Giving thanks to God that they're actually part of a family of believers. Can I say 2023, it'd be great to regularly, regularly stop and give thanks for all that God is doing. Am I not speaking loud enough? Oh, okay. That's fine. All right. I'll just keep, keep doing what I'm doing. Man. Okay. Um, so as we... Um, Paul starts off on this note of thankfulness. And then what we do is he moves into praying. And you pick up that particularly in verses 9 to 11. So what does Paul pray for? What should we be praying for for our church? As we move forward, look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped uh, praying for you. Uh, What does he pray for? Well, he's spent time giving thanks to God for certain things. And really what he does essentially is pray for more of the same. Uh, what he's thankful for, he prays might multiply. So he asks that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will, verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So when he's talking about knowledge of his will, uh, what's he talking about? That God would help them make certain decisions in life, you know, where to live, what job to do, how to use money, what church to go to, you know, choices that we make throughout life. Actually, it's not, that's not the focus here. I'm not saying don't pray about those things, but that's not the focus, not what he has in mind. Back in Psalm 143, verse 10, uh, the psalmist uh, prays this way. He says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your spirit lead me on level ground. That is, the prayer is so that we will know how to live in a way that pleases God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, the knowledge here is not just informational, it's relational. I mentioned before, Sue and I have been married for 43 years, and I know more stuff about her after 43 years than I knew when we got married. Right? Um, things that make a difference to Sue. Uh, so I'm one of our, I think it was our first wedding anniversary. Uh, new flowers were the thing, but it seemed to me that flowers were a bit uh, wasteful. You know, as soon as you cut flowers, they die. So instead, I gave Sue six pa- packets of flower seeds. Right? Uh, the sort of the eternal romantic. I, I've worked out that actually cut flowers that die please her more. Right? I've worked out some refinements around that. I've worked out that on our anniversary, the smart thing is not to drop into the service station on the way home and get the flowers from there or coals or that sort of thing, right? Get some nice flowers, right? I, I have progressed in my knowledge 
of Sue. But yeah, I actually know what excites her heart as well. Um, the things that really uh, help her um, understand and feel vibrant about life. And it's, it's actually the same here. The prayer is that we'll know God better so we can live for him. Verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in every way. This is a great thing to pray as individuals in a church that will please the Lord in every way, in our neighbourhood, our marriages, uh, as parents, in work. We're going to explore that as we work through Colossians. We get to chapter 3 and it talks about, for example, putting to death the things that displease God, sexual immorality, rage or anger, malice, slander, gossip, uh, not lying. Or you come to uh, verse 12 of Colossians 3 and it talks about the things you do adopt, kindness, gentleness, patience. Um, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution type maker. You know, most of us make resolutions about you know, health, weight loss, fitness, you know, all sorts of things like that that last generally for about you know, 48 hours or something like that. But Paul is saying the New Year's resolution prayers that are grown away that pleases God, pleases God. And I just want to point out one thing that pops up here. I want to talk about the way in which Paul talks about knowledge of God leading to obedience that leads to growth of knowledge of God. He's talking really about a cycle here. In verse 9, it talks about being filled with all knowledge. Verse 10, he speaks about living worthy of the Lord in obedience. And then in verse 10, he talks again about growing in knowledge. You want to grow in knowledge of God, then you obey him, and then you grow in knowledge of God. So the obedience in serving God helps you understand him better, which helps you obey him more. That's the cycle. And then he goes on, verse 11, part of his praying is to be strengthened with power to endure, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Uh, we live in a power, power culture. It's a big word, actually, in our culture. Uh, power dressing, power walking, power lifting, power brokers. You know, it's the sort of thing that people look for. Influence, impact, control. Notice the content of the power here. It's power to endure with patience. I think it was uh, in the kids' talk, you know, Colin talking about the, uh, the bubble culture we live in. You know, sort of the bubbles appear, disappear. We do. We live in an instantaneous, immediate gratification sort of culture. But here Paul is talking about keeping your eyes on God and his gospel uh, when you're persecuted, uh, when you're suffering, when you're going through heartache, uh, trusting his eternal promises when life is a struggle. Over the last couple of years, I've been talking to a guy called Nathan who's studying at Bible College. Nathan is a very capable leader and he, uh, he, through his three years of Bible College, uh, he's been getting first class honours. So he's capable, smart and a servant-hearted guy. Halfway through his third year of Bible College last year, he uh, got COVID, like lots of us did, but his morphed into a long covid and he found himself struggling to actually get out of bed. 
And so instead of finishing off his fourth year at Bible college, he's going to take a year off. Uh, and I think, man, for an, he's an activist, very capable and wanting to serve the Lord. And this really does cut across his agenda. So what do I pray for Nathan? Well, let me say I've been praying that he'll recover. I'd love him to come to Adelaide and be involved in gospel ministry here. But you know, the more important thing for me to pray is that he will have power from God to to endure and trust him even when he can't do much. That God will keep shaping him like his son. That's especially what I'm praying. On Thursday morning, I uh, met with six other men, a breakfast group that I've been involved in for a number of years. And one of those men has been caring for his wife who's suffering with dementia and declining at a fairly rapid rate. She's currently still uh, at home with him, but he's just getting progressively more and more tired and worn down. Um, What do I pray? Do I pray his wife... Uh, will be healed, that's not a bad thing to pray. Although, in my experience, that's not a prayer that God has answered very often in that sort of situation, in the way of healing. What do I pray? I pray that she will keep trusting in Jesus even in a befuddled state. But I do pray and that he will know the promises of God so that he can endure and trust even when he's exhausted and can't do much, that he might actually understand the grace of God more profoundly in the circumstances he finds himself in. Just as I wrap up this morning, what I want to do is remind us, friends, that we are have-beens, not has-beens. Have-beens, not has-beens. You know what a has-been is? It's a person who was famous or important or admired uh, or good at something in the past but is no longer any of these things. Okay, That's a has-been. So let me say I was runner-up in the under-16 National Gymnastics Championships Right when I was... 16, okay, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but that's, that's who I was, quite an extraordinary gymnast. But let me say, I am a has-been gymnast. Right? <laughs> that's something I declined after I was 16, really. It just kept going downhill from here. Christians are not has-beens. We are have-beens. Let me read again verses 12 to 14 and listen to what we're being told about ourselves. We give joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you pick it up? We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. We have been brought from darkness into the kingdom of the Son, our brother. We have been qualified by God to share in an inheritance that's been stored up for us in heaven. 
Do you understand? We have been secured by God's actions in the past so that we might have a relationship with him now and into the future. We have an extraordinary amount to celebrate from the hand of God. But where I want to leave you this morning is the importance of continuing to remember this. Because if you're like me, in the culture I live in, I'm forgetful. I forget what happened yesterday and I move on very, very quickly. But friends, we ought to remember these truths and they're to fire us up. When um, our kids were in about primary school, I remember Sue and I taking to the movies one day and uh, we came out from the cinema and I came up behind one of my boys and I uh, I grabbed him and I just said to him to his ear, mate, I love you. And uh, he laughed, which was a bit deflating really. And uh, (laughs) I said, mate, why why did you laugh? He said, oh, I knew you were going to say that. And I said, well, how how did you know I was going to say it? He said, well, you're always saying it. I said, well, why do you think I do that? He said, oh, you never want me to forget it. And then he he ran off. (laughs) But then he turned around and he came back and he said, with this really serious look at his face, he said, but Dad, I never forget. And then he ran off, you know. (laughs) Friends, can I say 2023, can I encourage you to pray that you never forget? Pray you never forget God's wonderful grace to us in Christ. Give thanks for it and live it out. Let it drive the sense of who you are and life, all for the glory of God. That's who we are. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy towards us in your Son. Uh, We thank you for your extraordinary kindness to us, that we have have beens, not has-beens. You have established us in relationship with yourself. You've done it purely out of your grace. And Father, we ask that we'll be people who remember this, dwell on it, celebrate it, and give thanks to the people around us because we know they're a gift from you and also live our lives to your praise and glory. And we ask that that'll be the case 2023. It'll be a wonderful year of celebrating your kindness to us and your son. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.